All right, you guys remember the story of the shepherds and Jesus? Um, the shepherds were they, were, they were camping near Bethlehem. And they, it was nighttime, and an uh, angel appeared before them. Before them. And um, they were scared. I think I would be pretty scared as well. Um, and they got a message. It was a message that the Messiah had come. Jesus was there. And um, they were excited, and they were told how to find Jesus. So they, they went to Bethlehem, and they, they found Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And um, we get to this part of the story where it says, All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And as I read that last part, it, um, it struck me. I kept thinking about it over and over again. And I started imagining how Mary might have felt. She had been pregnant for nine months with a baby that she didn't ask for and she wasn't expecting. It was, it was something that was given to her that she had to carry. And I started thinking about the different feelings she maybe had. I mean, nine months. She had to have had moments of fear, of loneliness, maybe feeling misunderstood, maybe even a little crazy. And as I read this, I was like, that's, that's me. This, this year has, has been a little bit challenging for me, and I've, I've felt those things. I've felt alone, and I've felt hurt and sad. And I've, as I was thinking through this, I was like, well, what, what got me through some of these times? What, what things? And I realized it's, it's messages. It's people from the community. It's friends giving me advice, um, loving on me. It's... Um, Sometimes it's scripture, and sometimes it's just words. And, and I had a, a funny thing happen where I was down in the, in the kids' room, and I was, um, I was getting it ready to paint. And um, I was taking a, a ceiling panel out, and this fell basically from the sky. And, and I picked it up, and it says, Perhaps this is the moment for which you have been created. And on the other side, it says, I will not be afraid. And the timing of that... I couldn't have asked for any better timing. It hit me. And, and I was like, okay, God, I'm going to hold that in my heart. And I think that's what Mary felt when the shepherds came. And they, they, they confirmed that, that Jesus was a savior. They confirmed that maybe she wasn't crazy. And um, this story, it's not just for me and it wasn't just for Mary. It's for you. In moments where you feel lonely and sad, like no one else understands, Jesus has a message for you, and he loves you, and he's never going to leave you. Big as a kite. Yeah. 
the little lamb to the shepherd boy Do you hear what I hear? Ringing through the sky, shepherd boy Do you hear what I hear? Come on now A song, a song High above the trees with a voice as big as the sea A song, a song High above the trees with a voice as big as the sea With a voice as big as the sea Oh, 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 This warm, mighty king Do you know what I know? A child, a child Shivers in the cold Let us bring him silver and gold Let us bring him silver
and what he's done for us and what he says he's going to do for us, the promises he's made and his love for us. And he calls us out of darkness and into light. He calls us out of sorrow into joy. He calls us out of our pain into healing and wholeness. You are loved, you are worthy, you are called. All of these things are true about you. So as we sing together, as we sing about God's greatness, focus on that. Get out of your chairs, sing as loud as you can. Celebrate what he has done for you this morning.
anthems of your majesty and join with heaven singing for one more time to Fantastic Beats for leading us in worship. And now you know what's coming right around the corner. I mean, Christmas is like next week, man. So next Sunday, we have regular services in the morning, 8.30, 10, 11.30. And then in the evening, afternoon and evening, 4.30, 6 p.m. and 7.30, we're having Christmas Eve services on Christmas Eve Eve. And those are identical to the services that are going to take place on the actual Christmas Eve. So those will happen. Three Christmas Eve services on the 23rd, three Christmas Eve services on the 24th. And I'm, I'm just curious, because we've never done this before. It's kind of an experiment. We're not entirely sure what to expect. How many of you, by show of hands, are planning to come to the Christmas Eve services on the 23rd, next Sunday? All right, good, good, good. Santa Claus is going to be there. Very excited about that. Yeah. Were you at the mall? Were you the Santa at the mall this week? Did you see me coming to see you? Look, turn around, look at Santa Claus. He's actually Santa Claus' doppelganger, but I was going to get a picture taken with you so I could show everybody this week. If you're there this week, look out. It's going to happen. Sorry, that was... A sidebar conversation. All right, how many of you are planning to come on Christmas Eve to church by show of hands? Good. Okay, good. And how many are going to come to both so that you definitely go to heaven? <laughs> okay, great. That, excellent. Good. That, that gives us just a little bit of a, a window there. Now, we're going to worship God with our giving today. I don't know if you saw the slide that was on the televisions earlier, uh, but, but I've probably read the Bible cover to cover, gosh, I don't know, 20-something times, and I've certainly spent a lot of time in the Scripture, and I swear I've never seen this verse. 2 Corinthians 6 says, we own, yeah, 2 Corinthians, that's how we say it in the great white north, okay? We own nothing, but we have everything. Man, that is so powerful. We own nothing, but we have everything. If, you, if you're older than about eight years old, you know that the things you think you have can be taken from you in an instant. You know that through sickness or misfortune or tragedy, the things you think are yours can be gone immediately. Which means when we, when we got something, man, we, want, we want to share it. We want to bless others with it. We want to give it away. We want to be open-hearted and have a great spirit of largesse and generosity and sacrifice. So when we give to God, we've got to recognize, man, this, the money we have, the resources we have, we don't have it for long. 
So while we got it, let's invest it. Let's bless others with it. Let's give where it's supposed to go. And for us, man, we want to give first and foremost to the church because we believe in the mission of Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Santa says amen. Look out. He's making his list. All right, ushers, you come forward, and let's get started. We're in the midst of a series called Variety where we are looking at strange and important events that have happened on December 25th since Christ was born. So those last 2,000 years, those 2,018 years, give or take, since Jesus was born. And, and today, we're looking at one of the most beloved and common traditions associated with the Christmas season, and that is the nativity scene, or the creche. Now, the creche is a living tableau that involves an exhausted Mary, a beleaguered and confused Joseph, several foreign visitors, and a collection of barnyard animals. And if you're like me, it probably sounds suspiciously like some of the parties you were invited to in college. Um, I never went to those. Uh, if you did, shame for shame, all right? St. Francis of Assisi is credited with creating the first crash and having been given permission to do so by Pope Honorarius III. And St. Francis is an important saint, the patron saint of animals, and is deeply revered as the nicest, most politically correct Catholic to have ever walked the earth. Um, but he was also something of a playboy. In his younger years, he was known as the king of revelers because he drank too much and sang too many songs to the wives of too many other men. Nevertheless, he liked dogs, so we think he's pretty cool. <laughs> Francis was inspired by a recent trip to the Holy Land where he visited the birthplace of Jesus, and he wanted to share the immediacy of this experience with those who were less fortunate, which reminds me of a time when my wife and I went to see Beyonce in concert, Queen Bay, we call her in our home, and the people in the row in front of us all had their cell phones up and were FaceTiming the entire concert. And, and, and I think that's probably the kind of thing that St. Francis was doing as he was giving people access through, you know, a slightly goofed up version, but it's, it's the thought that counts, right? Even if the thought is dumb. <laughs> I think the thought is dumb when you film a concert. All right. That's my grouchy old madness. Santa, forgive me. All right. Francis was convinced that this living tableau would help people renew the emphasis on worshiping Christ at Christmas instead of getting caught up in secular materialism. And I think he succeeded because we don't have those problems any longer. Not even one little bit. Now, the truth is that many people in our culture celebrate the birth of Jesus by crucifying each other in the shopping mall on his birthday so they can save 63 cents on a toaster for their bathtub. Um, <laughs> now, the first crash was installed in a cave in the Italian village of Grisio on Christmas Day in 1223. And many people began to spread rumors that the hay used in the first nativity scene was imbued with holy power and could cure you or your children or your animals for a small donation, which sounds a lot like the stunt televangelists pull when they tell you to send money and they'll give you a special bath water or a special healing cloth. Or I was watching YouTube this morning and I saw a man say, and I kid you not, I need 50 people to give $1,000 in the next 10 minutes or I'm gonna die. And I thought, I've never been more riveted in my entire life. <laughs> like, I want this to happen so badly. Now, among those animals are always included a donkey and an ox. The ox represents patience and the nation of Israel waiting for their savior. And the ass represents humility and the genitals, Gentiles, who have been brought into God's salvation plan late in the game. Now, you and I, we are the 
Gentiles. <laughs> and, and I don't know why ever uh, we're represented as an ass. Now, if, you're, if you can't see this picture, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. This is Ronald Reagan riding a velociraptor, shooting automatic weapons, and draped in an American flag. And this, this is the reason I moved to the United States. <laughs> they, don't, they don't have this in Canada. This is amazing. And, and if I lived anywhere else in the world and I saw this picture, I would immigrate all over again. Oh, so good. If you're wondering, what shall I get Dave for a last minute Christmas gift? It's this tattoo. <laughs> there are all kinds of strange crash traditions. In our house, we make the crash every year with some of our children's toys. A couple years ago, we made it using transformers. Sometimes we make them doing dolls. But every year, there's a nativity scene acted out in the McDonald household. In England, there's a tradition that involves baking a mincemeat pie, where the meat inside of the pastry represents the baby Jesus who does not get born or eaten until dinner time. Now, when the Puritans, I know, when the Puritans outlawed Christmas celebrations in the 17th century, they also passed specific legislation prohibiting such pies, calling them idolatry in crust. But if you've ever had British baking, then you know the last thing you ever want to do is eat it again. So I really think their laws were motivated otherwise. There's been all kinds of controversy, of course, surrounding the nativity scene. Uh, PETA, for example, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, believes that living nativity scenes using live animals lack proper care and constitute abuse. PETA, of course, is the extreme animal rights group that has euthanized over 30,000 pets since 1998 and was caught on film several years ago disposing of their bodies in a strip mall dumpster. So thank you, PETA, for being the moral police, not that we need, but that we deserve. Boo. Here in the United States, nativity scenes on federal lands have provoked outrage and several lawsuits. And other times, there's been huge amounts of scandal caused by people who go around town stealing the baby Jesuses from the tableau. Which, I mean, you know, you do you, but if you're going to kidnap somebody, maybe not the son of God. I mean, <laughs> that's definitely going to put you on Santa's naughty list. And if you think it's scary when Liam Neeson says, I will find you, <laughs> what's going to happen when Jehovah says, I will find you? and guarantee that you have diarrhea every time you swim. <laughs> On December 2004, Madame Tussauds Wax Museum in London drew the ire of the Anglican Church when they erected a nativity scene featuring soccer star David Beckham and his wife Victoria Beckham as Joseph and Mary and pop star Kylie Minogue as the angel, which I don't know why people were mad about that. I mean, if you're going to host a nativity play, why not fill it with super hot celebrities? Uh, they also used actors Hugh Grant and Sam Jackson and Graham Norton as shepherds and the Duke of Edinburgh and the Prime Minister Tony Blair and George W. Bush were cast as the Magi. I don't know what this picture means. But I laugh every time I see it. Because does anybody know what bird that is? It's a turkey. It's a turkey. <laughs> Thank you for the punchline. Now, with all this hullabaloo, you might wonder, why do we still bother with the nativity scene, especially out in public, where people are going to protest, and people are going to get offended, and people are going to get their feelings hurt, and people are going to get their feathers ruffled? Um, the truth is, it's important. It helps us visualize the incarnation of Almighty God. You think about it. 
Because it is something we need to think about, and it is something that we need help to see. That the all-powerful God of the universe left heaven to come here with us as a fragile, newborn, defenseless baby. God chose to suffer all of our pettiness, all of our cruelty, and all of our spite. This is what St. Paul intends for us to understand when he says that Christ divested himself of his divine nature. This is what the theologians Athanasius and Irenaeus intended for us to understand when they said that God became like us so we might become like God. We must keep this at the forefront of our minds and of our imagination at all times, and the creche helps us do that. Additionally, we love the creche because it allows us to feel as though we are still living in that story. We put ourselves in the story, imagining what it would be like for us to be shepherds, what it would be like for us to hear the good news proclaimed to all creation, what it would be like for us if we were like Mary, hearing a new message. We are caught up still today in the story of God's love for all people. And finally, we love the creche because of the way it combines art and faith. And there are countless opportunities for us to explore that combination, whether that be through Autobots and American Girl Dolls or Snooky and the cast of Jersey Shore. <laughs> but the truth is that Christmas is a story God is still writing because our hero remains with us, Emmanuel. And because every time we think that God could not possibly care about us, about our little problems, about our little lives, we remember that God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And that, my friends, is very good news indeed. I'm Dave McDonald, wishing you a very Merry Christmas. And now would you put your hands together, please, and welcome my good friend and one of our West Winds elders, Andrew W. Ladwig. Hey, good morning. Uh, Rick Martoya last week got up and told you guys that uh, if you would be considerate and thoughtful and prayerful, that we would be doing a, um, a gift offering today for our pastoral leaders. And um, hopefully that you were uh, thinking and thoughtful and, and prayerful about that. If not, then let me um, take a moment for those that might not have been here last week um, to tell you why we do this, uh, why we do this gift for our, our pastoral, pastoral leaders. Um, we, um, we feel we're really blessed with, with the uh, leaders we have here at Westwinds. Um, we <laughs> from, from Terry in the kids' ministry who does just fantastic stuff with our kids and in helping them to, um, to early on understand about Jesus, the, the team that she puts together with uh, volunteers that um, every week they, they have um, a full-staffed uh, kids ministry for, for our kids. And then I think of Kelly, who leads up here, the music, um, all the great things that she does, and, and, the, and the balance that she keeps um, She's got a, a ton of fantastically talented musicians that she has to organize um, for the bands. The, the balance between being practiced and ready um, and being worshipful um, is, is perfect. And, and, and that helps us in, in becoming um, um, 
closer to, to Jesus in the time that we were, were worshiping and singing. And then, you know, for David and Ben, um, those guys are great. Um, every week they got a, a great message. I don't think they ever bunt one. Um, it, it's just, it's a great opportunity for us to hear from guys that are studied and learned. Um, but most importantly, uh, we, see, we see their love for Jesus in, in the messages that they give. And, and we get to be a part of that. So um, we are going to um, go ahead and, and take an, uh, a financial gift offering for our pastoral leaders here today. And if I could have the ushers come on down, um, I'd like to pray. And, and if you will, join me, please. Lord, thank you for, um, for how you bless us. Um, thank you for how you bless this place. Thank you for how you, you bless our leaders, and, and they in turn um, get to bless you. Um, we pray that these gifts will be um, received and multiplied by you. Uh, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Christmas time is the time we celebrate when Christ came to earth, and we call that incarnation. It basically means he took on human flesh. And he did that so he could sympathize with humans, what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to learn, uh, to grow up, to obey your parents, to work a job. He was a carpenter. Uh, he cried. He got hungry. He got uh, tired. He got angry at times. Uh, he felt abandoned by God. Uh, the full range of human experience uh, is in view in the incarnation, that God assumed our flesh. Paul talks about this as, as that Christ emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and uh, was obedient to God, even to the point of death and death on a cross. So Jesus is a concrete icon of what God is like, and he came and revealed the Father's heart, which is a heart of love. And you can see this in Luke 15 in the parables, uh, the, what is God like? Well, he's like a woman who lost a coin and tore the place apart until she found it. God is like a shepherd who loves so much he goes looking after the lost sheep. And so the incarnation reveals clearly, definitively, uh, who God is and what God is like. Jesus embodies that. He's the most definitive, absolute, clearest picture of God we've got. So a second thing that the incarnation does. It not only reveals who God is, Jesus actually manifests and reveals what true humanity is supposed to be like. And in the second century, uh, a theologian named Irenaeus made this comment. He said that God was made like us so he could make us to be like God. And so when we look at Jesus, he not only reveals who God is clearly, but he, he reveals uh, what true humanity, as we were created, what it's intended to be. So the incarnation of Christ gives us a clear picture of God and a clear picture of what it means to be truly human and full of love and joy and peace and trust. Christ does both of those things in the incarnation. And so when Christ came, however, they saw a very human Jesus, and the question was raised, uh, you know, uh, he made claims that made it sound as if he were divine, that he were God. So it took four or 500 years after Christ to figure this out, beginning with the Council of Nicaea in 325. And they debated, is Jesus God or is Jesus human? 
Is he both? How so? Some people uh, were saying that Jesus was like God, and they used a word called homoousius, which means that Jesus had a similar substance to God, but wasn't really God. Uh, and, but what the council ruled on, that Jesus was actually homoousius. He was God. Same substance of Jesus is the same as God's being. And so that council met for that purpose to declare Jesus was fully human, but also fully God. Heath, this is my co-host Melissa Evans, and our special guest today is Simone Circe. A director. Uh, she just finished college on Friday. <laughs> and she is a fashionista. Show everybody your awesome shoes because they can't see them under the table. <laughs> Are those fantastic? How do you move like that? <laughs> um, this morning we've been talking about the crash, we've been talking about and focusing on the fact that, that Jesus came. Um, to the earth to be with us. And if you've been around the church at all for very long, you've probably heard the phrase identity in Christ. We like to say that a lot. Uh, Simone, what does that mean to you? So in identity in Christ uh, to me means um, that you need to have your identity in something that can never fail. Hmm. Like all your other like identities will, will fail you. You can only be pretty for so long. Oh no, don't ask my mom that, she's gorgeous. But you know, like everything else, like my identity isn't in a student, I'm not a student anymore, and mm -hmm. my identity might not be in my occupation. All those things will fail you, but will never fail me, is having, identifying as um, a child of God and um, a co-heir with Christ, and those are the things that help you keep going in this life, keep going to like run your race and everything, is knowing who you are in Christ. Now, do you have any specific examples of, of times you've maybe been in identity crisis or something like that? 2018 is the year of identity <laughs> crisis, and not just like for me, but like of my friends as well. And it's like, okay, well, you, I'm supposed to be all these things, and people perceive me to be all these things. They perceive me to be like holy, and um, you're so wise, and you have so much wisdom, and you're so this, and you're so that. And, I was none of those things this year. I wasn't patient. I wasn't kind sometimes. I did say some cuss words. Oh my God. <laughs> and so I really had to wrestle with, was this Jesus thing a phase? Was it, you know, that I just get like hot, like real high on Christ. And now that life has uh, applied pressure to me and I'm getting squeezed like a sponge and all this like ugliness is coming out of me. Did it mean that I, I really, was ugly this entire time and I wasn't any everything that I proclaimed I didn't make my profession my confession my profession as my dad says he rhymes um, <laughs> and so the yes I've had an identity crisis and I still needed to hear that God still counted me faithful that he still loved me that I still had a place in heaven I was still in his book and there was still hope for me, and there is still a reason to run my race. Definitely have had identity. <laughs> yeah, even if people are saying positive things about you, like, oh, you're holy, you're spiritual, we look up to you, that, like you said, that can go away. And then what do you do in those times when you find yourself hanging on to that? Like, how do you refocus back on God? Well, thankfully, when all, like, when all of those things, like, go away, God is still there, like, with you. When the affirmations are gone, when the people are gone, and your loneliness and in all those things like 
you hear the Holy Spirit saying, I'm still with you. And those, I just thank God for those moments when I can hear his voice and I can hear him say, I still count you faithful. I still say that I still have a purpose and a plan for you. Remember when I told you we were, I was going to do this for you, we're still going to do those things. Mm -hmm. And so that's what like recenters me when like he just meets me at like rock bottom when I'm just lying down on my face, feeling sorry for myself and God and halfway he's like, get yourself up. And on the other side, he's like, get up. So, like, I don't know how God talks to y'all, but you know, but like that God meets me in my brokenness and my loneliness. And uh, when I'm terrible, when I don't want other people to see me because they won't see me being strong, they won't see these things, but God sees me in all of that and still says, I still want you. Hmm. And that's that what respectors me. That is such an exciting and empowering and life-giving. Oh, it is really empowering. It is like gives you that confidence because you have like God confidence. You have Christ's confidence because, and that's such a beautiful gift that like my identity is in Christ. It's in something that will never fail. Like mm -hmm. how blessed are we that God in his perfection shared his identity with us? He didn't have to do that. And so we get to share in his confidence of being like this almighty, oh my goodness. Like, yeah. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> um, we, uh, we had talked before, and so I know you're from the, over by the Detroit area. I know you lived in Atlanta for a while, and then you ended up in Spring Arbor at Spring Arbor University. What did that do to your identity? It was such a shocking cross-cultural experience for mm -hmm. me, because even though I might have been like the only black person at work or in my neighborhood or something like that, I could still go be with my family or be with my friends or go to church and still get be around my own culture and things that are alike like me but being here no one was like me hmm. and it was like and no one really had the same kind of religious tradition as myself either and so there was like um oh my god but so even though everything is like still different are you still gonna be who you say you're gonna be. Mm. And so even though I might have seen, so I, I just thought Spring Garden was gonna be this all day Bible study, y'all. Like <laughs> we were just gonna be holy and speaking in tongues the entire time and having a Bible study and then like meeting someone and they're going through it and it's like, can I pray for you? And they're like, no, I don't want you to pray for me. And it's like, we're at a Christian school and you don't even want me to pray for you. Like, so like having those shocking things was like, but am I still gonna pray for them anyway? Am I still going to live up to that anyway? Yeah. Praying oh. behind someone's back, yeah. that's Yeah. Praying behind their back. How have you found community within that? Oh, I found community within that because I made sure I got community within that anyway. Like, I have, we have to work, we have to live this life together anyway. I appreciate it because I had a new perspective and I had, like, I know the oppression that I experienced being who I am, how I was born as, mm -hmm. and sometimes, but being here allowed me to see how other people are oppressed. Um, and knowing that, like, we are all broken and we're all in a broken yeah, world and we're all absolutely. fighting a fight and my oppression isn't more oppressive than your oppression, so you get to, you need to honor my oppression, but I don't like honor yours, if mm -hmm. that like makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, and so totally. like building those bridges to say like, hey, we are all fighting something, but God is fighting with us in all these things. So like building, like connecting those bridges meant a lot to me. You had to, like if you're yeah. gonna be who you say that you are in Christ and you have this profession, you say, I'm gonna live in you and I'm gonna follow you, then that means that you see everybody else as your family as well. Mm -hmm. And how do you stick with your family? Like. 
I have made a decision that you are my sister no matter what, and I have to live up to that. Or yeah. say nothing. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. You are so fantastic. 